Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 4. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 33 verses 1 to 6 Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on my way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 18. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. <clears throat> Continuing on with our series, A Meeting God on the Mountain. This is the final uh, sermon in that series as we look at uh, the people of Israel encountering God at Mount Sinai. One of the things that stood out to me when, uh, when Wendy and I uh, first went to Africa was that I wasn't very good at waiting for things. I think somehow 
our society in Australia, we've sort of been socialised not to be able to wait for, uh, for much at all, really. We, uh, we hate waiting. We hate waiting for the train. We hate waiting in doctor's surgeries. We hate waiting in traffic. We hate waiting at the supermarket checkout. And now we hate waiting for our online orders to arrive. You name it, and we hate waiting for it. I remember waiting in line to get my uh, driver's licence at a government department office in Adelaide when I first returned from Malawi. And uh, in fact, I only remember this situation because the lady who was serving behind the counter actually apologised to me for keeping me waiting. I was surprised because really there were only two people ahead of me in the line and uh, I, I waited all of 10 minutes. I was fresh off the plane from Malawi where waiting is actually a national pastime. In Malawi, I literally had to wait three days in a government office to get my car re-registered. In fact, just about every aspect of Malawian life makes you wait. So I waited 10 minutes for two people in a line ahead of me really was uh, barely registered on my waiting scale. But waiting is not just a problem for Australians um, either. Or, is it a pro- or neither is it a problem just for people in Western countries. They, uh, the Israel also had a problem with waiting. They struggled to wait for Moses to come down from Mount Sinai with God's rules for living. And they also struggled to wait for God uh, to lead them onto the promised land. You might think by the time that Israel got to Mount Sinai, they would have been good at waiting, particularly for God to act and to provide the promises that uh, he had for them. In Egypt, they had actually witnessed uh, many miraculous signs that God had performed uh, to force Pharaoh to allow them to leave that country. They saw uh, God part the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. They experienced God literally giving them food from heaven in the desert each day of their journey. And once they got to Mount Sinai, they witnessed God's uh, great display of lightning, smoke and thunder as he announced his presence on the mountain as he had come to give them his rules for living. Even, they even saw Moses singled out by God as, as his special mediator as he would go up to meet with God on the mountain and come back down to tell them what he had said. You would have thought that all of those things, all of those experiences of God would have given them great stamina for waiting, but it didn't. In the story of the golden calf, which is in Exodus chapter 32, Israel showed that they have little little stamina for waiting for Moses while he's up, up on the mountain receiving a fuller version of the rules, of, rules of, uh, of living or the laws of God that he was giving to him. In fact, they, they didn't even really seem to be waiting for God as they just wanted to get on with that journey. They wanted to get to their destination. They wanted God's promises without his presence in their lives. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving uh, the fuller version of the rules for living from God, the Israelites are down below and they start pestering Aaron, Moses' brother, 
telling him that they can't wait any longer for Moses to return. They were so impatient to get on with their lives that it didn't seem to, uh, they didn't seem to care how they achieved that. So they asked Aaron to make them an idol to stand in the place of God. And so this is what Aaron did. He, he told them to give them all their golden bangles and earrings and uh, rings. Uh, and then he took all those and he melted them down and he made them into a golden calf, into an idol, a tangible and immediate expression of God, which they then danced around and, uh, and made offerings to and worshipped. God saw all of this and it, it really ticked him off. He told Moses, who was up on the mountain with him, he said, the people whom he had brought out of Egypt have fallen to pieces. They were, they were no longer God's people, uh, who, who, had, who, you know, not no only the people that God had brought out of Egypt, they were now Moses' people whom he had brought out of Egypt, which shows just how upset God was with Israel for what they'd done. In a blink of an eye, Israel had turned away from waiting for Moses and essentially turned away from waiting for God and had settled instead for an instant pop-up version of, of a God to suit their needs. Moses went down the mountain to try and see what was going on, but when he got there and saw what was happening, he was so angry that he just threw those stone tablets onto the ground on which the Ten Commandments were written, and they smashed to pieces. After calming down, uh, Moses then began to work to try and resolve the situation and to get, try and resolve and to get Israel back on track. And so in Exodus chapter 33, which is the focus of today's message and the, uh, the, the, the passage that we've heard read to us earlier, Moses then meets God and asks him to forgive Israel so that they can continue on uh, their journey to the promised land. But God has some very tough news for Moses and for Israel. He tells them to get up and get going on the journey to the promised land, which, which sounds initially like everything's going to be okay. He even promises to send an angel ahead of them uh, to show them the way and who will drive out the enemies before them. But then God drops a bombshell that sends a shockwave through the whole camp and stuns everyone, including Moses. He says this, he says, You go on to the land that I promised you, and I'll make sure you get there. But, and there's a big but, I won't be going with you. You will go on from here alone. Some people, when they hear that, they might think, Oh, wow, that's, that's okay, because that's you got what they really wanted. They get to the promised land. Isn't that what everyone wants in a religion and from a God? To be given everything that is promised? A land to live in, a large family, security, peace, basically a happy life. And then to top it all off, you won't have to bother engaging with, with, with the God or thanking God or doing any of that worship stuff. Most of all, you won't need to centre your life on God because he won't be in the picture. 
You just, just the things that he promised will be there. God is basically saying to them, I'll give you all the benefits of being in relationship with me. I'll even keep all the promises that I've made to you and your forefathers. I'll give you the land that you've always wanted, but I won't be there with you in that place. Now, you may think that Israel would have jumped at that offer, especially since they'd already shown how little they were willing to wait for Moses to show up with with God's rules for living. They had just made an idol to replace God, which showed that they wanted all the benefits, but not God's actual presence with them. What about us this morning? We might not be contemplating exchanging God for a golden idol, but some of us might have similar thoughts that we could truly be satisfied in life if we just get what we want even if God is not present with us in that. Today there are many people who spend their entire lives striving to find true satisfaction, wanting the promises without God's presence. They do this by saying to themselves, when I get this job or this qualification, this new piece of furniture, these clothes, these shoes, this gadget, then I'll be satisfied. Or when I get into a long-term relationship or find the right person to marry, have the house that I've always wanted, have children, then I'll be happy and satisfied. Strangely, when Moses and Israel hear that God, hear God tell them that, that he'll deliver them to the promised land and give them what they want, but that he won't go another step with them, they're devastated. In the end, I believe so will we be if we seek the promises without God's presence. There are four reasons why Moses refuses God's offer of going to the promised land without God's presence. Let me outline these to you briefly this morning. The first reason Moses refuses God's offer of the promises without God's presence is because the land was not enough. Despite making the idol, Israel were actually surprised and devastated at the thought of continuing on the journey without God. You see, the promised land was not enough for them on its own, and it would never be enough on its own. In the Bible, the promised land is often referred to as a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I actually find this title for the land quite ironic because Well, if you've ever been to Israel, then you will know why. Sure, it's a very beautiful country and parts of it are fruitful, but it's also, it's mostly dry and uh, and it's it's quite a harsh environment. It's not exactly Tahiti, where fruit seems to grow on trees overnight. But what really makes the promised land a a land worth going to and what make what will make Israel prosper in it is God's presence in the land with them Moses and Israel knew that the land on its own would not satisfy them and that they could not really flourish without God with them which is why they're so dismayed at the thought of going there without him 
In Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah the prophet says the same thing years later after Israel had been, been rebellious again. He says that when God shows up, when God is present with them, even the desert places will be fruitful. The same applies for us today. It's God's presence with us that makes uh, dark and dry places alive and full of light and hope again. Deep in our hearts, I believe that we know that the world is not enough to satisfy our needs. But we continue to somehow hope that it will be. We long uh, for more than we have and we try to satisfy our thirst uh, with activities and other distractions. All that the world offers, even all the riches in the world, will not satisfy your deepest needs. The right house in the right neighbourhood, the dream job, the perfect girlfriend or boyfriend won't complete you despite what Jerry Maguire told us. Don't get me wrong, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. In fact, many are good and beautiful aspects of life, but they're not perfect endings in themselves. And to have the promises without God's presence is ultimately a hollow and a shallow and empty experience. Moses knew this, even Israel, as corrupt as they were, they knew it as well. To get to the land, to get everything in the world, but to not have God's presence is no prize at all. It is, as Jesus says, profitless to gain the whole world and forfeit your life. We need to put God's presence with us as our number one priority, otherwise the promises will not be worth, uh, not be worth having. The second reason that uh, Moses refused God's offer of the promises without God's presence is because he had a family that he couldn't leave behind. Moses met with God and pleaded with him, pleaded with God on Israel's behalf to go with them, reminding him that it was he, God, who had given him the job to lead Israel to the land and that they were really God's people, not his. The Lord replied to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Now this might sound like God's relented and given in and said, Okay, but he hadn't. At this point, he hadn't changed his mind and decided to go with them. He's basically saying, I'll go with you, Moses, and I'll give you, Moses, rest. The you in the original language is singular, meaning that God would now go to the promised land only with Moses and not with Israel. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture because it shows Moses engaging with God and persuading God to change his mind. He he responds to God by saying, if you don't go with us, meaning all of us, not just him, then don't send any of us on this journey as there's really no point. Moses knows that there's no point in going onto the promised land by himself. 
How could, he invo- how could he enjoy the promised land alone? What message would that actually communicate to Israel's enemies if he, re- if he reached the promised land by himself, without the rest of the whole tribe of Israel? It would tell them that God had kept his promise with Moses alone and enabled him to get to the promised land, but everyone else God had left behind. And so God would not ultimately be honoured or glorified by Moses entering the land by himself. So Moses was not prepared to leave Israel behind on the journey to the promised land because it would not be the promised land at all if people were left behind. What about us today as a community of faith? Are we prepared to keep on moving on in our Christian life while at the same time leaving people behind? Today, Christian churches all around this country, including this church, face serious problems of people disengaging with church and with God, especially youth and young adults. It is well documented that 72% of Australians between the ages of 15 and 29 years of age disassociate with church life and many also with God during that time. These are staggering statistics. They actually make me weep. And so they should. And we need to recognise this. We need to grieve this. But we also need to come back to God, just like Moses did, and press into God in prayer and tell God that we are also not prepared to go on alone and leave people behind. How serious was Moses about this? Well, he told God earlier on in, uh, in chapter 32 that he should blot him out if it only meant that he would get into the promised land alone. What he means here in stark, plain language is this, and I'm going to steal a line from the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. What Moses is basically saying here to God is this. He would rather die in a ditch than go onto the promised land without God and without Israel. In our society of rampant individualism, we accept too easily that it is okay for our kids and other people in our faith community to drift off and disconnect with our, with our community of faith and with God. But in the economy of God, we're people who are committed to each other's faith journeys. This isn't okay, friends. Moses reminds God that it is not okay to leave anyone behind. Moses says to God, if only I go on and Israel don't, how will that look to the other nations around us? How will anyone know that you're actually pleased with me? I find this language kind of confronting. Moses is actually arguing with God. We don't think that we can actually argue with God. But we have a glimpse here of Moses arguing and changing God's mind. He's convincing God to stay the course with his people. It also says something to us about Moses and God's relationship. 
It, it was close. It was intimate. It was a sort of relationship that they had in which friends could really tell each other how they see things. Is that what your relationship with God is like today? That you can tell God how you see things? What about us today at Mooney Ponds Baptist Church? Are we concerned that we are leaving some people behind? Our children, people whom we know and love? And importantly, are we willing to do anything about this? Are we really ready to seek God about this problem and to engage with young people and older people who are moving to the fringe of our faith community so that no one is left behind? God heard Moses' plea. He changed his mind. He agreed to do everything that Moses asked of him. And I believe God will hear us and help us as we also commit to praying and interceding with God for the, pe- for, for the people in our community so that no one is left behind. The third reason that Moses refuses to offer, uh, refuse the offer of the promises without God's presence is that they had an assignment to fulfil together. The journey from Egypt to the Promised Land was not just about Israel and their needs and their blessing. God had a bigger purpose than just getting them across the line. In taking Israel to the promised land, God is fulfilling his promise to their ancestor Abraham, which was to actually make him and his descendants a blessing to all nations, to all ethnic communities of the world. Moses recognised this and and he reminded God that they could only be a blessing to those nations together because only God in the midst of his people would make them a light to the nations. Israel without God was not a light. Moses on his own was not a light. The only thing that distinguished Israel from the nations around them was God in their midst and the rules for living that he was giving them which when followed would show uh, to people God's character. Moses told uh, God that if they were to fulfil their assignment of being a blessing to the nations, then they they would actually need to do this journey together. If not, they would be a laughing stock. They would be a thing of derision. I mean, who ever heard of a people who were rescued by their God only for them to part company partway down the road? Friends, unfortunately, many churches have parted company with God today. They go through all the motions, but God is no longer central to what they do. Some don't even care if God is not present. Others just wonder why they're not able to fulfil their assignment and mission in their community. Some churches continue on year after year doing churchy type activities, but they're not seeking God or seeking to have God central in their community's life and practice. There are plenty of churches where things were happening once, but now they're not. The, these, the buildings of these churches are, uh, are either restaurants or funeral parlours or some other 
some other purposeful, purposeful building. Or these buildings are, are just filled with a, well not filled, there just remains a few old people who remain there keeping up appearances. You might think, ah, that's, that's not us, that's not Moving Ponds Baptist Church, we do stuff. But even being a church that does stuff in the community, even a church that meets on Sundays, runs a youth program, it's not enough. No matter how good these activities appear or how well attended they are, they're not enough on their own. Only God's presence in our community is going to be enough to enable us to be salt and light in the community in which we live. This is because when God is really at the centre of who we are and what we do, then God will, we, we will shine with God's character to the world around us. Jesus told his disciples that they are, they are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be restored? He mentions this after telling uh, his followers and disciples about the kingdom attitudes and the kingdom values that are to permeate them. These values come from taking uh, God's character and his laws seriously. But these kingdom values are only possible for us to live out when God is uh, when God is in us individually and in us as a community. Today I want to encourage you, each of you, to pause and to check your spiritual pulse. And if you sense that your spiritual pulse is weak, if you're just looking for the promises of God without really wanting God's presence, if you desire religion without relationship with God, then I want to encourage you to ask God back into the centre of your life to be the heartbeat of our community. Otherwise, we'll follow these churches into oblivion. The last reason that Moses refuses God's offer of the promises without God's presence is because God has more of himself to show them. In many ways, Israel's rebellion of making the golden calf uh, it didn't come from a disdain of God or even from a desire for other gods. Rather, it came from a lack of intimacy with God. I Israel didn't make the golden calf in an attempt to change gods or to get another god instead of Yahweh. Rather, they did this to experience God more tangibly. Up until this point in their history, Moses was the only one who met with God. Israel had not wanted to speak, hadn't wanted God to speak with them directly as they feared such an encounter and they said so. They really feared his presence. But Moses' attitude is really different and it's different to that of Israel's. He never settled for a God who just met his needs, for a God who gave him Promises like a Santa Claus type of God. He wanted more of God, which is why after God gave him a favourable answer 
and uh, promised to go with him and Israel to the promised land, he then asked God to show him his glory. Moses, Moses is not satisfied with his current experience of God. He wanted more. God had already revealed himself in limited ways to Moses, but now Moses wants more of God. And because of Moses' desire, God continues to reveal more of himself to him. And this encounter of God's glory changed Moses' life forever. The Bible says that after just just seeing God's back, you see, God told Moses to wait in a cleft of a rock and that he would pass by. And he showed God. Moses, just his back. And after this encounter, Moses' face shone so brightly, so brightly that he had to wear a mask. Moses was the first guy in the world to wear PPE to protect others from his radiant face. Friends, what sort of experience of God do you want? Or rather, what sort of experience of God do you need? You can just have an experience of God like Israel had, in which they really were just seeking his promises. Or you can have a relationship with God like Moses, who was desiring to encounter God, to encounter more of God's glory, in which he would be changed forever. Friends, don't settle for anything less than encountering God's glory in increasing amounts. Paul tells the the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16 that we can experience the glory of God when we turn to Jesus. The reason for this, the writer in the book of Hebrews tells us, is because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Friends, let us not settle for anything less than God's increasing presence in our lives. Let us not try and press on with our Christian lives without God at, our, at, at the centre of it or press on as individuals leaving people we know and love behind. Only together, living in the presence of God, in the power of Christ, can we fulfil our role as God's people in the communities in which we live today. Encourage you to consider this message and God's word this morning. Let's pray. Great and loving God, we want to thank you for uh, the story of Moses and of Israel and what it can tell us, what it teaches us about you, what it teaches us about how we need you to be present in our lives, how we are constantly uh, tempted and distracted by things, by other pursuits, but ultimately they lead to nothing. Help us to take a spiritual pulse of our lives today. Help us to turn to you and recommit to to asking you to be at the centre of our life, at the centre of our being, at the centre of our community, so that we can be salt and light in the community in which we live. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.